All right, the children are heading downstairs. We are staying upstairs. And um, it, it is uh, interesting that Jesus, after he was born and raised a little bit, he went to the temple and he began to teach and he opened up the scroll to teach. And what scroll did he open up to? Isaiah 61. And he said, I'm going to read this, rough translation. And then he read, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captive. He read what we just read. And then he, well, he didn't close the scroll. He kind of rolled the scroll back up, right? And he said, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so what we understand is what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born, Jesus then came and fulfilled when he read it. He wanted them to know that he is the one Isaiah had been talking about, that he is the one that came to proclaim good news. He is the one that came to bind up the brokenhearted. He is the one that came to set captives free. He is the one that came to be good news. And and it's interesting because the word good news um, is actually what the word gospel means. So when we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we talk about um, uh, sharing the gospel and, and, and explaining that to people, we are just using a fancy term, which means let's share the good news. We're going right back to Isaiah, the prophecy, 700 years before Christ was born. And then the one that Christ reiterated and said, this is about me. This is me. I am the good news. All we're doing is wanting to continue the message that Isaiah started, continue the message that Jesus proclaimed. He is the good news. But the question is, what is the good news, right? Um, we understand the gospel to be that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, right? Came to earth. He wrapped himself in flesh. You will hear the word incarnation around Christmas time. Um, it's a big word in which we understand what that means, right? We don't have to like extrapolate out the word in, do we? It's not out, but it's in, okay? Um, and and carne, um, uh, you guys have chili con carne ever? Yeah, that's chili <laughs> with meat, right? Um, so carne is just the, the word flesh, right? So in flesh, that's what incarnation means. He came to be in flesh. And so um, Jesus, God, came and put flesh on and he grew up and he walked the face of the earth and then he was sinless and he died in our place for our sins on the cross so that we would have eternal life. And this is the gift that he gives us. It's free, doesn't cost anything. And this is the good news he came to say. This is what he wants us to know that when we receive him and his gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins, then we have the good news. We have freedom from our sins. We have hope in the midst of hopelessness, our mourning changes to dancing, and all of the things that we read in the Gospel of Isaiah this morning are the good news for us today. And so this series that we're going to look at is going to look at the different ways he brings us good news. Okay? Today is good news for families. Next week, good news for outcasts. How many of us have ever felt like outcasts? How many of us maybe still feel like outcasts? Right? Yeah? Um, and if you look at our world today, if you read the newspapers, uh, or maybe you're, uh, you're not a newspaper person and it's all digital and you have your tablet version of the news via Google or whatever, 
um, or you watch CNN or Fox News or whatever other news channel happens to be on because there's a bazillion of them, um, the news is not generally very good, is it? Um, we live in a world that is desperate for good news, right? And at the holidays, if you watch the news, they do little segments, don't they? Um, so you've got like horrible tragedy. I mean, even just recently in London, the terrorist stabbing. How many of you heard about the guy who attacked the guy? I understand. I don't, it never does. It, it only does it on Sunday mornings. It's the weirdest thing. Um, but the guy who attacked the terrorist with a narwhal tusk, did you guys hear about that? Okay, so it's the most bizarre. And so you've got this horrible thing happening, but then they feature a little bit of good news, right? People stood up for what was right and they protected and they defended with what they had on hand. A dude had a five and a half foot narwhal tusk and went after the London stabber guy with the narwhal tusk. It, I mean, what the heck? Um, but I mean, that little is a glimmer of good news. Weird, but good news in the midst of... But then you hear things about um, uh, people donating, um, you know, all kinds of things at Christmas time. Or um, you hear things about like a little girl um, decided to give all of her, instead of getting Christmas gifts, she wanted everything donated to the animal shelter. Or, you know, little snippets of good news because we need good news. Not just at Christmas time, but all year long. Um, and our news is full of families that are falling apart. Right? Um, our news is full of people on the fringe of society, outcasts that are struggling. Um, our news is full of nations that are falling apart. And so our third week in this series is going to be about how Christ came to be good news for the nations. Uh, how he's going to take fractured and unite into one. Um, and then the last week of the series, right before Christmas, we're going to talk about how there's good news for individuals. Because it's not just this general sense, but there is good news for every single individual person. A very personalized good news that we can partake in. Now, but today we're going to start with good news for families. And, and, and before we even dive into that, um, I'm kind of hoping that you guys will just take a moment and go through an exercise with me. Um, so... Uh, if we can uh, close our eyes, if it, it will help to do that. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or do anything. I'm just going to ask you to think through some things. Um, and uh, think about your family when you were growing up. Okay, Just close your eyes. Picture your family when you were growing up. Think about your earliest memory, if you can. It may be when you were you know, in preschool or whatever. Um, and just, just reflect upon that early memory. It might have been a good memory. It might have been a traumatic memory. Um, uh, for me, just so that you know where I am thinking, I was in a high chair, um, and I was eating a like a pretzel breadstick, and it was very crunchy, and I didn't like it. Uh, that's like my first memory. Uh, but my mom was in the kitchen working on something and talking to me, and so there's this sense of family there. Now, fast forward a little bit in your mind to um, a, a family memory that is a little... Um, painful. Might still be when you were a kid. Um, might be when you were a little bit older and you had a little more depth of life experience. Um, it could be painful for a myriad of reasons. Um, think on that one for just a moment. And now transition that memory to a family memory of just pure joy 
just excitement. This is a phenomenal family memory. Go to a phenomenal family memory. Now, I bet every single one of you had different kinds of memories. You guys can open your eyes. Every single one of us have a different kind of family experience. Um, some of us have extremely painful family memories. Some of us have almost no challenging family memories. Um, family is this really weird thing that God has given us, this beautiful gift that God has given us. Um, back in the very beginning of time, um, when God made Adam and Eve, he united them together as family and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And it was this family unit that God began to build humanity with, but it was also this family unit that was the first thing to be attacked by the enemy of our souls. Um, it was into this first family unit that the adversary spoke fracturing lies. And so from that point forward, what God had given us this beautiful gift of family, Satan had said, well, I want to destroy it. And ever since then, it has been this battle. Ever since then, family has struggled. You get the weird people in your family. You've got the people you don't really want to hang out with in your family. Um, you've got the painful memories and the good memories. And it's this roller coaster of family redemption down through time. Now, um, uh, we can't get away from our families, right? Because we're born into them. And, and sometimes, as try as hard as we might, we try and get away from our family to distance ourselves. But we are related to people. Um, and God wants to redeem our families. I want to read to you the story in scripture about Jesus's family. If you want to follow along, it's Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. Um, and, uh, and this is the good news uh, for our, our families today. And, and I have a little newspaper here because this is the story we're going to read. Um, pregnant, unwed teen flees to aunt. Right? So it, this is the Bethlehem Times, right? This is what we would have read in the newspaper generations ago had they had the printing press. Um, and then the, maybe the second headline would have read, Joseph is in shock over the news. And the details would have unfolded because here's how it played out in Scripture. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, a census, if you will, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and uh-oh, we run into a problem here. They are betrothed, a word we don't use very often anymore, right? Um, which just simply means they are engaged, they are not yet married, and, and somehow she is with child. We already have a problem in this story. Um, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And suddenly we have this story of Jesus who is being born to a teenage mother who is not married to his father. They are not at home. Uh, they actually couldn't get a place to stay. So they're staying in, in, in the equivalent would be like a rock cave now, we look at manger, and sometimes we think of like a barn structure, but 
Oftentimes animals would live in a in a cave nearby where the homes were or the bottom story of a home and, and they were basically staying where the animals stayed. So whether it was a cave or whether it was a barn or whether it was a lean-to, it doesn't really matter. What matters is it wasn't a home, right? It wasn't an appropriate shelter for a family. Um, but it may have been the fitting shelter for this family, a family that was falling apart at the seams, right? Now, uh, Joseph struggled in this sense with his family. Prior to this moment in time, he found out that Mary was pregnant and he had every right to have her stoned or divorce her, to leave her destitute, to leave her falling apart, to leave her um, unwed and pregnant without a hope for a future. Uh, in that day and age, if you were uh, an unwed pregnant mother, um, you, you were considered uh, blacklisted. You, you had no way to provide for your family. And that was if you were allowed to live. And, and so Mary in and of herself had no hope for a family. She found out she was pregnant. She had the promise of God that this would be the son of God. But the reality of culture was, nope, you don't get to live. You don't get to keep this baby. You don't get to experience the joy of motherhood. In fact, she ran away to uh, a family member's house for a while to process what was going on in her life. And then, you know, Joseph found out. Joseph was a little bit angry, a little bit hurt. The, the woman that he was in love with was pregnant. What, uh, there's really only one way that happens. And that meant something to him. He meant, that meant in his understanding, the only understanding there was, that she had slept with somebody else. That she had cheated on him. And his heart was broken. He was experiencing pain and suffering and turmoil. And, and into all of this, God said, this is how my son will be born. You ever think about that? When God chose how he was going to enter into humanity, how he was going to enter into the human story, into, into flesh, it was going to be through a teenage girl who wasn't married. He was going to do something intent. It wasn't an accident, right? Jesus chose Mary. He knew Mary wasn't married. He intentionally chose to enter into a circumstance that was fraught with emotion, that was fraught with brokenness, that was fraught with all kinds of unknowns and troubles and oh no's and fears. And, and then he, he paired Mary together with Joseph and calmed Joseph's fears and gave Joseph the ability to stand up to a world that said, why would you ever choose to partner with Mary now? And he said, because I love her, because God has called us to be a family, because we will work with the power of the Holy Spirit to find unity and love despite what the world is saying, despite the obstacles we have against us. God is calling us to redeem a family unit and we are going to do that. And so he didn't divorce her. He didn't stone her. He stood with her and he said, I believe my future wife. I believe this is the son of God. We will live life and do life as family. This son will be my son. This will be the first adoption story and we will live together the way God has called us to live together. And in that God begins to redeem the family unit. 
Jesus was born to an unmarried um, teenage mother with a father who wasn't the father of her son. So that God can redeem families. That God could be good news for families. That Jesus could redeem that which was broken. He decided to take a very complex, broken family and make it his own and redeem it with the love of Christ. See, the thing is, Jesus understands complex families. He understands heartbreak in families. He understands what ifs and I don't knows and maybe I better run away um, to experience something different. God came into the world to take that which was broken, family, and make it whole in him. Um, and, and if your family uh, looks something like Jesus's family, that's probably an okay thing, right? Because he truly understands what it is like. He didn't come into a perfect family in a glorious um, home with everything he ever needed. He came and was born among animal poop, right? I mean, the reality is yes. Um, and we don't ever think about that because we want to think about this beautiful sterile picture of Jesus, right? Where he's glowing, right? And everybody is happy and he doesn't cry. And we even sing Christmas songs about um, it, no crying he makes, right? Ah, he's a baby, right? <laughs> Jesus cried, right? Jesus had to be nursed and rocked among roosters and sheep and cows and donkeys and the smell of damp hay and animal poo and, and it was chaos that he was born into so that he could speak peace into it. But make no mistake, um, he understands what it is to grow up in a family that is a little chaotic. And then, and then he even had half-brothers, right? He had siblings. And I bet, I bet his family, as he grew, endured a little bit of ridicule. Because here's the kids that were born of Mary and Joseph. But here's this other kid, this Jesus, that is in question wherever he goes. He struggled with, well, do I really belong in this family? But he was made fun of as a kid. I mean, even his own brothers didn't really accept him. You know, there, there are moments in his life as an adult where his brothers struggled to accept him because he says, I'm the son of God. And they're like, yeah, what? I grew up with you. You're not anything special, Jesus. Right? as siblings are to do. Now, what if your family has experienced things that are a little bit, if we can say, more challenging than unwed pregnancies and um, step-parenting and all of this kind of stuff? What, what if in your family you have adultery? What if in your family you have abuse? What if in your family um, are the things that can go on, uh, criminals, murderers, thieves, um, all, all kinds of um, cowardice experiences and selfish people. And, and maybe as you thought through your family memories, you were thinking through the things that were painful that weren't listed in Jesus's particular family. Um, and you wonder, can he redeem my family? Can he redeem the things that have been in my family for generations, the, the sins that have been passed down for years and years and years and through people and people and people and the top behaviors and attitudes. Um, and we wonder, can he do it for my family? 
Can he redeem my family? Was he good news for my family? Um, and this is where we got to go a little bit deeper into Jesus's family lineage. Um, if you read, um, you can flip to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, uh, again, the gospel of Matthew uh, we read, and we know that the gospel just means the good news, so we're reading the good news to us um, from Jesus's family lineage. That's part of the Christmas story, and it tells the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How many of you honestly skip over the genealogies when you read the Bible, right? Yeah, because um, most of us tend to, because you're like, and so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, oh my gosh, that's a lot of names, and you just kind of, your eyes blur and you scroll down um and i understand that that's how a lot of people read those sections and it happens in the old testament and it happens in the new testament but we need to take note because that's good news to us when we read that those names mean something and i want to highlight a few things for you guys from the lineage of jesus um, when you read the genealogy of jesus christ he's the son of david the son of Abraham. There's a concise genealogy right there because we read um, in, in the gospel, the good news of Luke, that uh, Joseph, his father, was in the lineage of David, right? But what does that mean for us? Well, it means that he was in the lineage of Abraham. Well, what does that mean for us, right? Well, what about Abraham? Um, Abraham is widely considered the father of our faith, Right? Um, and in the Old Testament, he followed God with this bold faith and he made, uh, he had special covenants with God, which is great. God called him to go to a nation that he had never seen. Um, he did this wonderful covenant experience with Abraham where he put Abraham to sleep and God walked through a smoking fire pot and said, I will make you an, uh, a father of nations. There will be more um, people in your family than stars in the sky and sands in, in, in the beach, right? The sandy parts of the world. Um, and, uh, and so you look at Abraham and you go, man, what a man of faith. What uh, a person to have in your lineage. But did you know Abraham was jacked up in his life, right? So um, Abraham was a sinful man in desperate need of a savior. Um, he gave his wife away two times to resolve conflicts with leaders of nations, right? Um, so Abraham was a man who let his wife become another man's wife so that he could have safe passage, not something we really want to like do, right? Abraham, um, was not always a man of faith, even though he is considered the father of faith. Um, he was a coward, which is why he tried to negotiate safe passage, um, and in the midst of all of that, he was used by God to be um, the father of a great family, even though he needed tremendous help from God the Father. So in Jesus's family history, we have a man who was not really faithful to his wife, but we have a God who is very faithful to us. Um, if you go down a little bit further, um, Tamar, anybody familiar with Tamar? Raise your hand. Hey, we got like four of you, okay? The rest of you, um, Tamar's story uh, is in the lineage of Jesus, if you read Matthew chapter one. Uh, but Tamar's story is so messed up that I really, it's really one of those uncomfortable stories to tell. Um, and if you wanna read it, you can find it in the Old Testament. 
Uh, just uh, get in your Bible app and Google Tamar and you'll pick up that story. Um, but Tamar had a baby, uh, but the father of the baby was also the grandfather of the baby. So we've got a little bit of incest going on in this story. And the whole story is a situation that is heart-wrenching. It's full of sorrow and sin and horrible life experiences. And it is not how families are supposed to be, right? Um, there should be a husband and a wife, and the husband should not also be the father of the... It, it, we should not have fathers also being grandfathers of the same child. Um, and sometimes uh, our families can have things like Tamar's family that are so sinful, so shameful, that we never talk about them. They're those deep family secrets, right? That we, we never talk about because we don't want anyone to know the shame of our family history, right? In some families, it might be that our families were slave owners, right? In some families, it might be incest. In some families, it might be abuse. And so who knows? But there are things that we don't talk about because we are scared people will know the way our family came to be. Um, Tamar's son, the one that was brought into the world based on incest, was actually a direct relative of Boaz, right? So when you read Tamar, it might not be the name that sticks out, right? Because the direct great, 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 five greats, grandfather of Boaz, who happened to be the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, right? And so when we read the lineage of Jesus, we need to know that God was working through even the most devastating of circumstances, the most shameful of moments in family life to bring about redemption for family. This means that Jesus' lineage tells us there is no one that is beyond redemption. There is no depth, secret, family, horrible, shameful memory. The most painful thing that you thought about this morning in your family life is not beyond the redemption of Christ. And that is good news. There is no family that is out of touch. Um, if you go even further into the lineage you read about Rahab, um, do you know Rahab's name literally means... Pride, insolent, savagery. How would you like that to be your name? You have a baby, you look at your baby's name or your face, and you go, I could name this child savagery, <laughs> insolence, pride, yes. We'll go with pride and insolence and savagery, our sweet child. They named people for what they were hoping for their life. It's kind of sad when you think about that, the life that they were being born into. Um, she was part of a group of people who were the enemies of God. Um, they lived in the wall of Jericho, um, and, uh, and, 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 and they fought against God's people. Um, they worshipped false gods. Uh, in fact, uh, she became a prostitute. She grew up, and the way she made a living was sleeping with other men for money. Um, but when God's people, a few came over and she met them, and they said, we're about to come and overtake this city, she believed that this God was the real God. Of all of the gods, 
She'd heard some stories about the parting of the Red Sea, and she believed that this God was the real God. And um, she rejected in that moment her past life of sin. She helped rescue those um, spies that came. She let them out and protected them from death. Um, and when the walls fell, her household stood. God redeemed her and her household. It didn't matter that she'd been a prostitute. It didn't matter that she'd worshipped false gods her whole life. It didn't matter that her name was pride and, 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 and insolence and savagery. Um, what mattered was that she had faith and that God redeemed her. And um, she actually became the great-great-grandma to King David, right? It's amazing how God uses people. Um, and then there was David. We know about David. He was a, a phenomenal king, right? Um, he was a shepherd of, of God's flock and a literal flock when he was younger. Um, he was a psalmist. He wrote worship music. And just wor He was the chart topper of the day, right? Um, and, uh, and he was a man after God's own heart. But, right, um, David was an adulterer. He, he not only coveted someone else's wife, he had that man murdered so that he could marry her, right? That's not great, right? We don't do that, right, in good company. But David, a man after God's own heart, decided that he wanted a woman. And when he couldn't get rid of um, uh, this uh, man, uh, he decided that he would have the entire army pull back and leave him to be slaughtered at the front line, um, he wrestled with a sinful heart his whole life. You can read that in some of the worship songs he wrote. He was a great king who did some great things, but he also did some terrible things. And he needed, he desperately needed a greater king. He desperately needed Jesus to be good news for his soul. And if you go down through history even more, we've got Joseph, right? He is in the lineage of David, right? Who is in the lineage of Rahab, who is in the lineage of Tamar, who is in the lineage of Abraham, um, Joseph, the mother of Mary, um, late teens, early 20s, no formal education, a poor man, right? Jesus wasn't born into riches. Um, he was the descendant of all of these sinners that we've read about and a bunch more. I just handpicked a few. Um, he, he chose to adopt Jesus and raise him in his son um, as if he was of the same flesh and blood of Jesus. He adopted Jesus into this lineage and said, my family, as messed up as it is and it's messed up, can be your family, and I will bring you into my family, my poor, uneducated, not much of a future family, um, and we will be one. I will redeem you from a world that says you aren't worth anything. And I will bring you into a family um, that needs redemption. And we will be love together. Um, of all the families God could have chosen, God chose that family. Of all the women God could have chosen, God chose Mary. Um, of all of the moments in time, God chose that moment. The imperfect family to be the perfect redemption for our soul. Um, and this tells us a few things. Um, one, that families need good news. No family doesn't need good news. We all need good news. God has a heart for families. Um, he wants families to be whole. He wants families to be healed. He wants families to be redeemed. He doesn't want there to be any secret sin in a family's life. But 
we light, that is really bright, right? Don't look at that. He, he came to be the light of the world, right? He came to be the good news to families. And it says in scripture that we are to let the light shine on us, right? That um, he came as a light, though the world did not recognize him. The light shined and dispelled darkness, Christ came to be good news for your family. And if there is sin or darkness or shame in your family, Christ's good news is that he came to shine a light in that, to redeem it back from whatever it needs to be redeemed from and to bring healing and wholeness and health and joy to family. So this Advent week, the good news is for your family, that whatever it is that your family has experienced, Christ has came to redeem it. The imperfections becoming perfections, the hopelessness becoming full of hope, the sadness becoming joy, the broken relationships becoming mended. If we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, came to earth to redeem us from our sins, then we must also really believe that he can do what he promised to do in, in the gospel of Isaiah. That he can bring good news to the poor. That he can bind the brokenhearted. That he can set captives free. That he can open the prison and release people. That he can declare the Lord's favor over all. And that has very real life implications for our families. If you are a Christ follower, then you have good news in your heart. You know this to be true, and we can live this out. We can actually live the good news of Jesus right now in our families. Because Christmas isn't really about the presents. Christmas isn't really about the silly hats and the elf ears and the ugly Christmas sweaters and... Christmas isn't about the trees and the sparkly lights. Christmas isn't about um, the, the hot cocoa and the apple cider and the cookies, all the tasty foods, right? Christmas isn't even really about the gatherings. Christmas is about Jesus and the way that he took things that were fractured and said, I have a plan to make it new. Everything that we do should be focused on that. Every time we get together, we should be declaring good news, right? Every time we meet with family and loved ones, we have the opportunity to be a tangible experience of that good news for the people in our family that do not yet know the good news. And I've got family members that don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got friends that don't yet know the good news of Jesus Christ. We've got co-workers that don't yet know the good news of Jesus Christ. So, I'm benedicting early, right? But you have the opportunity to be good news, bearers for those whom you are around this week. So maybe do the hard thing and call your family, right? It's not always easy. And share the good news intentionally with your family. Invite them to a Christmas Eve service as they live here. We have a Christmas Eve service, by the way. It's on December 24th at 6 p.m. That's Christmas Eve. 
come join us with your family and have them hear the good news because God wants to redeem every single family for glory one day. We're going to pray. The worship team is going to come and lead us and we're going to worship Jesus and then go and be good news for our families. Lord, thank you for the good news. Thank you for the ways that you, in wisdom, chose to come to earth, not to a perfect family, but an imperfect one. Not to a whole family, but a broken one. Not to a family that could hold its head up high and walk through its town, but to a family that actually um, ran away for fear. Or a family that decided whether or not it should be divorced or whole. To a family that struggled most of its life with will we be accepted because of who we are. You, Father, know what it is like to have a broken family. And you also know what it is like to redeem those families. Redeem our families, we pray, Father, from all the things that need redeeming. And may we be filled with the good news this week for our family. We pray this in your name.